Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is a, a good friend of mine, Lissandra DiCavallo. We're talking today about preparing for a 20-kilometer swim, and particularly or, or specifically the, the Rottnest Island Swim, which is held over in Perth once a year in February. And uh, Lissandra has done it three times solo. And this podcast is all about getting some advice on how to keep warm during the swim, fueling, how much you should be training, a few things to keep in the back of your mind as you lead up to such a massive swim. So, Lysandra, thank you for joining me on the podcast and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Brenty. So, uh, today, uh, I just want to sort of dive deep on on how you've prepared for the Rottnest Island Swim in the, the last couple of years and some things that you've learned along the way because I know a lot of athletes that I coach in the, the swimming, uh, the Effortless Swimming Membership are preparing for the, the Rottnest Swim in Feb and, and also some other longer ones. So to kind of kick it off, talk about your, your experience with Rottnest and, and how many times you've done it and what drew you to doing that swim. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I this I've done the solo swim three times and I've done it the first time I ever did it in 2013. I did it as a duo and um, actually one of my teammates asked me if I wanted to do the swim with him, with him as a duo and I said yes and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into uh, when I found out he wanted uh, to do half and me to do the other half. So we basically did 10Ks and I did... Uh, the last 10 case and um, from then I got hooked and I decided to try and do the whole thing by myself the following year. So 2014 I trained and uh, to and I attempted and I was successful and I did it for the first time. Uh, it was all very different the first, the second and the third time because the first time I actually didn't know whether or not I could swim that distance, you know, I did the training, but I had never done anything like that before. So uh, obviously there are all sorts of doubts and um, and I just wanted to really have a go. So when I went there the second time, I knew I could do it and my training was a little bit more different and I, I had a goal time and I wanted to swim, you know, under a certain time and same thing for the third time, but um, you cannot plan these things too much because it's the ocean and all the times I, I swam, the conditions were different, uh, the currents and the winds, it, it was never the same. <laughs> I could go on and on anyhow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can compare your times from you know, pool swims for 50, 100, 200 and so on, but anything that's open water, there's always going to be that variance of current, swell, tide, conditions, everything. So it's nice to have those goal times in mind as something to work towards. But at the end of the yes. day, it comes down to con conditions. Mm -hmm. And it's and you can I guess the thing that you can more times than not sort of base how you went on is your, your placing in the event. But it also depends on sort of where you are. Like you've been right up there. Exactly. And so if you get three or four really good swimmers who enter – in one year that automatically that might push you down a couple of places so it obviously depends where you are but there's a general sense you you can compare yourself to how you are in the the field and what's your best placing so far for, for um, right so there's last year i did uh, the champions of the channel which is the elite wave so you have to swim 10ks under two hours and 40 minutes to qualify for that so 
So last year I did this Wave the Champions on the channel and I came seventh. But the previous year, it wasn't an elite wave. I came second in my age group. So I don't know. I think I'd rather be seventh with the, all the girls, you know, all ages in the elite wave than, than the second I had the previous year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and that's a, an awesome result as well. So I'm sort of looking at that with the Lawn Peter Pubs coming up in January this year, turning 30, just thinking whether do I do I go on the 30 to 39 age group and, you know, try and get on the podium or do I stick with the, the, super, fish. the super fish wave and maybe, you know, if I have a great swim and do I try and get on the, the podium there? It's just, uh, I'm not sure. I think I'd, I'd rather just have a hit out with the, with the super fish guys and that's, yeah, I, I like being in that big group of people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It depends on what you want, you know, because I feel that I always... I push myself harder, you know, when I'm in that group as well. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's good to really, it's good to train with people who are faster than you, and it's good to compete with people who are who are better than you because it lifts your lifts your standards and it, it makes you have to rise above where you may think your ceiling or your limit might be. So I think it it's a really good thing to get out of your comfort zone and get beaten and have to have to rise there. So exactly. it's um. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what makes it exciting. So, in your sort of lead up to to Rottnest in the last year or or two, how many swims were you doing per week? What was yeah. the average distance? How did you progress with your longer swims each week? How steadily did you build that up? Can you talk a bit about your training towards the yeah, uh, the swim? absolutely, absolutely. So, um, I start increasing uh, the volume in about October. Yeah. I normally swim about 12 to 16 Ks a week. And then in, in October, you know, slowly I will do 18 Ks or I'll do some doubles. Uh, I'll do maybe one or two sessions, do uh, swim twice. So usually either on a Monday or a Thursday, I'll swim whenever 6, 7 a.m. And I'll back it up in the afternoon and I'll try um, to swim four to five times a week. Uh, four, four kilometers. And then in November, I tried to do four doubles per month in the entire month. So either the Monday or the Thursday, I do either two sessions of four Ks or two sessions of five kilometers. And then the rest of the week, I'll swim four or five kilometers. And then in December, I start because the, the water, well, here in, in case in Victoria, in Melbourne, uh, the bay starts to warm up and I actually like doing my ocean swims without the wetsuit because in rottenness you, you cannot wear a wetsuit so you need to be comfortable and the water last two years was about 20 21 degrees which is quite nice but anyhow um so in um, in December I start doing my long ocean swims so maybe on a Sunday uh, or a Saturday, I'll start with a six-kilometer swim, maybe eight kilometers, depending on the conditions. And January, I'll build up. Then I'll try to do a 10 kilometers and maybe two sessions, like two Sundays in a row, do my 10Ks. And finally, in Feb, I'll try to do 12 to 15Ks every Sunday. Well, two weeks prior to the race, not I won't do those 15 Ks then I'll obviously decrease more or less do a taper 
this is for solo swimming yeah so i'll i'll swim up to 25 k's and then two weeks prior to rottenness i will sort of do 20 18 and i think uh the week of the race i'll, I'll do 12 to 15 k's nice and with those those longer swims you're starting to get used to your feeding and like how, yes. how often you feed and the food that you're taking in yeah this is so that, that's important to do these long swims because that's when you're going to test your feeding that's when you're going to test you know your mental toughness as well you know because when you start training from one hour in the water but two to three hours you got to prepare yourself not only physically but mentally it takes time and either it is cold or it, it is rough you never know the conditions and and that's when you when you try are you going to eat you know uh stop every 30 minutes every 40 or every 45 minutes in this case i stop every 45 minutes but i didn't find out that was good for me until i started training and started stopping during those long swims so even in the race, you were feeding every 45 minutes? That's right. Uh, during the race, I will stop every 45 minutes, even if I'm not too thirsty, but that's never the case. You know, I'm, I'm actually, my body knows more or less now when it's time for a break. And every 45 minutes there, you're having a drink and something to eat? Yes, uh, not really. I, I don't normally eat myself. I have a drink and I have a sports gel. And I take turns. I have one with caffeine, one without caffeine, one with caffeine, one without caffeine. And normally at the 10-kilometer mark, which is halfway, for me, I give myself a treat, which is, you know, I get to eat a banana, which for me is the I thought highlight. you were going to say chocolate or something. It's actually a treat, but okay, a banana, yep. Yep, yeah, for me, it's a <laughs> banana. And because it's really hard to actually chew, and I think the chocolate as well, I think you'd really get stuck in your mouth. So you want something really easy. And for me, I don't know, I, I did the banana the first time, and it worked. And I don't know, with swimming, you can be a little bit superstitious as well. So I'll, I'll stick with the banana because <laughs> it always works out. I never thrown up during the race a lot of people get seasick a lot of people get sick maybe because you you might eat too much and you throw up but um that has never happened to me which um unlike my kayaker once but that's a different story <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know uh, was it last year that you, you uh, kayaker? Two years ago, two two years years ago. ago. never let her forget it though no, no 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 she got so seasick <laughs> and i actually saw her throwing up the entire race and I actually felt really bad for her but oh, uh, nice. yeah yeah that, that was I was pushing her come on we can do it <laughs> it's meant to be the other <laughs> way around yeah 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 but you know I gave me strength and it took my the, the, the attention from my own pain away you know because I thought man I'm not in pain this girl is in pain yeah. <laughs> oh man and drinking, you're just drinking water to wash down okay. the Okay, I drink two things. Uh, what I normally do, just pure, either just water or I have I drink coconut water. And I might throw some hydrolyte in the coconut water. So sometimes, you know, I know my body just craves water and I know I just need water. But sometimes I feel a little bit more dehydrated and then I drink the, the hydrolytes. And... 
again, you're only going to learn what your body needs when you do those long swims and then you drink just the water, you drink the, the hydrolytes and you're going to feel the difference. Oh, I feel a certain way. Or sometimes, you know, you just, the hydrolytes even in the coconut water, it's too sweet and might make you a little bit sick in the stomach. So, you know, when you just need the water, but that's my, well, with my kayaker, there's only water, coconut water with hydrolytes, some gels and a banana. That's all you're going to find there. There's no, no magic, no other tricks. It's as simple as that. And you're keeping track of your every 45 minutes just with a watch on? Yes. So I set an alarm on my watch. So I don't, I don't have to look at it. That, so I just, I just hear it when the alarm goes off. And then I know it's time for a feed. But more or less, you know, when, when you're swimming, sometimes you want to check how long. Because um, it's nice when you break it up like that maybe for 30 minutes some people about 45 minutes it breaks up the race in slots of 45 minutes so you don't think of it as a 20 kilometer you just get through those 45 minutes and i think that's a lot easier mentally to do there oh absolutely i, I think to um you know running a marathon just think about going between the, the drink stations and uh yep. i think they're I know, every couple of k apart and that's just an easy way to mentally get through it and, and as soon as you know it you're up to 30 k's and then you've only got another another 12 to go and it's like anything you just break it down into small chunks and if you make it to that that next little bit it doesn't seem like it's uh like you've got that much more to go because you're not thinking of the end in mind just keeping your your mind on the on what you've got to do exactly exactly and and throughout the race i try to stay present as much as i can and throughout the race i i'm thinking on my technique, I'm looking at my hands. Is my hand at the right angle? Are my elbows high enough? Am I? Am, is my catch too deep? Never th- really thinking. Oh my god, how much longer do I have to go? Oh my god, this is so rough. You know, I, I'm just staying present and and working with my body. What what can I do right here, right now, to make it easier for myself? And do you find it's the same in the longer training swims when they're when you haven't got the uh, excitement and intensity of a race happening, you almost yeah. on your own on occasions, are you, are you still able to keep your mind on your technique yeah. or does your, your mind tend to drift easier? Well, when I'm training, it drifts easier for some reason. I don't know because maybe obviously I'm a little more, more relaxed. It's not the race day. So my, my mind, but I, I, I try to practice sort of this mental exercise to stay positive as well because it's it's just really easy to fall into a hole or go to a dark place when you're in pain basically and when you know you have a long way to go and I don't know so I, I just drift to I don't know my family or nice holidays I had you know or think of jokes or I don't know funny funny moments and I hope that staying positive and sort of laughing keeps me going and it's a lot easier at the end finish almost with a smile you know it wasn't that hard yeah so- yeah i mean it's only 20ks isn't it it's not that far <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> on keeping warm in a race so for someone who who tends to get cold in a race what would you yeah. suggest for number one keeping warm and also making sure you avoid getting burnt and, and the yeah. sun because yes. that can definitely add up over time so what do you do oh, for ab- that absolutely absolutely 
Listen, I'm I'm kind of I get cold quite easily. So even um, two things, training in the bay helps me, especially the first times I go for a swim, and I'm quite hypothermic as well. I I actually I start mentally training. I do. <laughs> one plus five, or, you know, I start doing maths just to make sure I'm, I'm together, I'm with it. I've just started asking myself quite, because at the end sometimes, or if I'm training, I, I normally swim with somebody, I'll try, I'll tell my training buddy, I say, listen, uh, I'm quite cold, I'm a bit disoriented, I, I don't really know where I'm going, so I'm just kind of going to follow you. But I practice and I stay as long as I can, you know, until obviously I don't have to call the paramedics, but just to your body's gonna go through a shock so you gotta practice small shocks to give you small shocks to your body as well but something you can do is drink have a a warm drink people say hot milo for me I, i don't like drinking hot milk while i'm swimming you know so maybe some tea some herbal tea or just hot water really warming up from the inside really really helps so I, luckily, doing rottenness, their water temperature, I've never needed it. But in the bay, which is about 18, 19 degrees, I do need it. So, um, it, it, again, it just depends. You need to practice and you need to learn what your body is comfortable with. So hot water or tea and avoiding getting sunburned. I use zinc, any sort of... Um, sunblock with a lot of zinc i don't normally use any of the wool fat i don't know i've never used it i never felt the need so i basically uh smother myself in sunblock probably 50 with zinc so there's some they're just white or others they're sort of the color of your skin and just apply maybe 30 minutes uh 45 minutes before the race and i just go with that and i mean i'm quite pale you know i have freckles but i've never been sunburned after the race so that that works for me and what about avoiding the chafe like around the neck shoulders uh, yeah so i just apply i don't even use vaseline i use popper cream and i i also feel well i train with the bathers i'm normally gonna race in so i know I do at least one or two long sessions, you know. I, I normally, it's got to be, if you're going to use one of the long suits, it must be fin approved to do the rottenness swim. So once or twice, I do a long swim, the 15Ks with that swimsuit. And I put the popper cream on um, my shoulder underneath, like my, my armpits. And for me, that's good enough. I don't I don't have to reapply during the race as well. Oh, and behind my neck. Because sometimes the swimming cap might rub on the neck as well because you're lifting your head up a few times to see where you're going or to see where your boat is or your kayaker. And uh, and for those people listening who, who don't know, I don't know if it's a, a worldwide thing, but pawpaw cream, it's spelled P-A-W. Oh, yes. P-A-W, so paw paw, like a dog's paw. It's, it's normally in a red, yeah, little red tube that it comes in and it's, it's what would you call it? It's almost like a lot of people use it for... Um, for chapped oh, lips and chapped lips, yeah, and chapped skin, yeah. I um, Vaseline will do, I guess. It's just I, I think it's stickier the popo cream, and it will stay longer. And with your race suit, are you are you wearing a a proper race suit or, or more like training bathers I for the swim? Mine is goes down to my knees, 
Actually, for Rodness, you can wear the full length that goes down to your ankle ray suit. I don't know. I like feeling the water, so I, my ray suit just goes down to my knees. And again, must be uh, fin approved. So yeah, either any speedo or any any sort of any sort of brand. A lot of them make, make they make fin approved suits. That's what I wear. And how do you go? I mean, that's going to be so much faster than just a, a typical training oh, suit. Oh yeah, yeah, your normal lycra suit. That you know, it creates compression on your, your body, and uh, which also for me uh, it helps with recovery as well. So yes, it, it's going to be it's going to be a, a little or maybe a lot faster as well because um it comes really high up in the neck as well. So you don't have uh, water going inside your bathers. You don't want any pockets of water when you're doing this sort of distance. And, and what about your shoulders? Do they fatigue? Like, how do they go with fatigue when oh, okay. the suits are a little uh, bit a bit tighter? Yes. Um, so I do. I do feel my shoulders getting fatigued, but nothing. I mean, you don't want to. The size you buy is not even the same size you will do a hundred meter race, or you know, your two hundred or fifty meters. You know, if you're doing a, a, a race at the pool. So you want it to be a little bit more comfortable, you know, you want a little bit more space on your straps to, to do 20 kilometers, but it's got to be tight enough so water won't be coming through within, in the neck area as well. So again, you know, you might buy a suit and a swimsuit and then you go and you try it out and then you go, you know, this is really stiff on my shoulders. You don't want that. You don't want that because you're going to battle it's another battle, something else to think of during the race. So you want to be comfortable, you know, the, the entire time. You, that's the worst when you either have leaking goggles or, you know, a suit that is rubbing for 20 kilometers. Um, how many sizes up would you normally go? I, I, I go one size up. For me, one size up is good enough. And your, and your goggles, what are you wearing there? Do you buy a brand new pair of a, a brand and a type that you've worn before or you wear goggles that you've yes. worn in? Well, I, I'm, I'm old school, you know, I'm an old school swimmer. I wear Swedish goggles all the time. So I just make sure I wear uh, the mirror because, I mean, on the day of the race, the sun can be quite bright. And unfortunately, not everybody likes uh, the Swedish goggles, but I always swim with the Swedish goggles and make sure they're dark and mirrored because the sunlight can also bother you when you when you take a breath. Yeah, absolutely. That's number one if you're swimming with any sort of uh, sun around. You've got to get tinted goggles. And uh, I mean, I'm the same as you. I like, I prefer the Swedish goggles. Um, yeah. as, and in a race like Rottnest where you're not in a pack, you're not drafting, that's exactly. go, go with what works best. Obviously, if you're Doing a race at like the Lawn Peter Pub when you've got a lot of people around, you're probably going to get kicked in the face a few times. The Swedish ones are probably Not best to avoid. Best. That, that's when you can. Have you gotten a black eye from getting kicked in the face before? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember you last year or the year before, I think it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, I don't know if it was the Pier 2, but I've had many black eyes um, <laughs> and, and a few cuts as well. I've come out of the water with, a, with some blood running down my face. So you're, you're old school and tough. See, I, yeah, exactly. I wear padded goggles. I wear different goggles when it comes to... Uh, and probably because I was wearing my Swedish goggles because I cannot adjust to anything else. There's actually this other brand that I use. They actually make Swedish goggles with... A, there's a, a small protection and uh, it's the French brand. I think it's uh, Nabaiji or... It, 
it's it's spelled N-A-I-B-I-J-I. And um, there's a, a bit more protection than your old school Swedish goggles. But um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I just make them tighter for the races. And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm used, I, I'm used to the argy-bargy and uh, I just try to get ahead, especially because I know I'm wearing the Swedish goggles and I might come out with a black eye. Yeah. Makes and I have faster. to explain myself all week. What the hell I was, uh, I was doing. They're like, you're swimming. <laughs> <laughs> no, not part of any fight clubs. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, with Rottnest, it's it's a swim where you need to organise a, a boat and a kayaker uh, as a support. So, how would someone go about about doing that? And and what's the process yep. that you need to go through there for Rottnest? You know, it's uh, sometimes I think the logistics is just as hard as the training because there's you need to uh, there's a lot of things to think about or that you have to organise. I was very lucky and. I found my skipper and my boat through Gumtree. I just put an ad on on Gumtree and just saying, you know, I'm a solo swimmer from Victoria, need a boat. And I actually saw about 50 people looked at my ad, but just one replied. And I was lucky enough to get a good skipper and, and I'm sticking with him actually. But you can put an ad on Gumtree. There's actually a local paper in Perth called Quaka. Quaka is actually one of the, I think it's a marsupial, one of the little oh, possum-looking things the, that they have. They're only on Rottnest, I think, aren't they, the, the, the quackers? Yeah, yes, yes, they're native to Rottnest Island. But I think it's quaka.com.au. And I put a net there as well. And uh, I know a lot of people that found boats there. And there's actually the, uh, the Rottnest Channel Swim website itself where people are adding, you know, putting ads, need a boat, need a kayaker or kayakers putting their hands up so um and every time so most importantly you need to find a boat because you can go without the kayaker but if you have the boat you can still do the race so uh number one find a boat number two uh to me i find it easier having a kayaker because the boat leads the way kayaker follows the boat and you sort of follow uh the kayak and the last two years, it was a very good friend, best friend of mine in the kayak. And you don't necessarily have to have a kayak or somebody you know, but it's, it just helps to, to have somebody there, you know, somebody who can push you or, or somebody, you know, sometimes you become a little bit soft and whingy and somebody will tell you to drink uh, some cement and, and harden up. <laughs> that, that helps too. But um. So boat and the kayak, normally on the website as well. And whoever has a boat, they'll normally be able to tell you where to find a kayak. Or um, if you ride the Surf Life Saving Clubs, they offer some kayaks or the people there are willing to be a kayaker. And so, Or maybe you just have somebody, a friend, who can be your kayaker, but you can hire one in Perth. So online, you can you can find it. Luckily, my my skipper has a kayak as well. So um, I think uh, I hit the jackpot there. Yeah, it sounds like you got pretty lucky with that. In terms of where you're sitting, so you said the boat's in front, kayaker's behind the boat, and you're behind the kayaker. Is that right, or, you, or you're off to the side? I'm the kayak. I, I'm sort of next to it. So the second half, so I'm sort of not exactly side by side. You'll be hard depending on the conditions. I like having my kayak to my right. I do bilateral breathing. I, I breathe to both sides, but I'm more comfortable breathing to the right. So that's where I like my kayak. 
And just a little bit ahead, I feel that if it's a little bit ahead as well, it pushes me to swim a little bit harder. Just it keeps my pace going. So not exactly next to me, perhaps a little bit ahead. And in a position where I don't, basically I don't want to lift my head up for 20 kilometers to see where the boat is, where I'm going. So I, I just want to look to the side and look at the kayak. Because, you know, every time you lift your head up, you put more strain on your back, on your hips, and it sinks a little bit. So the more you look up, the more, I don't know, to me, it, it makes my back really tired as well. And what sort of cost is someone looking at to pay for uh, for a skipper and, the, and that sort of stuff? What's, what would it generally cost? Normally, uh, the skipper and the bowl, it will cost you about $1,000, $1,500. That's the normal price, you know, because, I mean, the fuel cost, the, just the fuel itself is very expensive. And those guys are waking up, I don't know, mine at 3.50 a.m., 4 a.m. I mean, I was in the water for five hours in a bit, but some people might be six, seven, eight hours, you know, depending on the conditions. So it's a big day for them. And, and I think it's fair as well. So you're looking more or less uh, about that 1000 to 1500. And is there anything else that, that comes to mind that you think would help someone who's preparing for a 20k swim or the rottenest swim? Anything that we haven't covered? Listen, I the first thing that I can think of, and I think it's very important is you, you must get your technique right before you do the sort of distance, you know, your 20Ks. Because doing 20 kilometers with bad technique is just a long way. And if you just correct the angle of your hands, you know, the, the, where your high elbows or where your hand enters the water, this, it, it might make it a lot easier for the person. And you don't get as tired, you know, and prevent injuries as well. I see people, you know, coming out you know, with uh, sore shoulders, but it actually had partial tears, you know, during the swim. So I think uh, very important to get the technique right. Prepare yourself mentally. You must go with a positive attitude because in the middle of the race, everything is going to start to hurt. You know, I mean, you might not be getting sunburned, but you, you have the sun you're hungry and you're thirsty, but you can't drink that much, you know, you, you can't eat. And then you have the jellyfish as well. I mean, last year I didn't have, but you're getting stung by jellyfish. You need to be mentally prepared for this and expect the worst, really, you know, expect the worst to be in a lot of pain. But and, and also expect the worst, but stay positive. It, you really have to sit and be comfortable with yourself and in your own company and make sure you're not going to go to the dark place because that's what um, makes it, uh, I think, it a bit traumatic of a swim. So um, just staying positive, really. Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's almost stoic philosophy where you where you expect and prepare for the the worst, and then if exactly. if it goes any better than the worst, then you you know you've had a good day, and exactly. and it also makes you go through the the each situation. So you know, what if you end up spewing your guts up halfway through the swim? What mm -hmm. if your kayaker drops all of your your food and your gels, and you've got nothing exactly. left? So what do you need to do to put plans in place to have something there in case that does happen? So it's it's a really good way to go about it. And and do you think that's what keeps bringing you back to the the swim is it is it putting yourself into the that go just going having to dig deep and really force yourself to 
come up with something that you go to a place where you wouldn't normally have to go 364 days a year? It is. Most of of us, I don't know, I think I speak for myself, it's getting out of my comfort zone. And I feel that every time I I do this swim, I go, okay, it might sound a bit of (laughs) hocus pocus, but a different state of consciousness that I have to go to. And I feel that I evolve and and I, I really get to know myself as well. And there's a lot of conversations with yourself going on through your mind because it's not like going for a run or a bike. You don't have the visual stimulation. You cannot hear much. You know, your head is in the water and you you can't hear much and you're looking at the bottom and a lot of times you cannot see the bottom and uh, you'd really have to talk to yourself and keep yourself going and with with a mental and a positive attitude. So you're going to have a lot of crazy conversations. Sometimes the things I think about... I don't know. I forgive people for done things to me in the past. You know, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it's funny where even though you try to stay present, but your mind, your mind might drift sometimes. And you know what, if you really stay positive and present and you feel the adrenaline and the endorphins, I think that's why I keep coming back because the feeling like in the middle and especially after that adrenaline and the endorphin, I, it's really hard to replicate that in any other situation in life. I love that. I've been listening to a book called Stealing Fire by two guys, yeah. Jamie Wheel and, and Stephen Kotler. And it's, it's basically about that. It's, it put it, how do you put yourself in situations where you're going to, to flow and how do you do that on a, on a regular basis and, and using that to, I guess, you know, get the feelings of the, the dopamine release, the... Uh, yeah, like the d- dopamine and, and the endorphin. It's it's really hard to get that elsewhere. Yeah, that, that's right. And they, like they talk about being able to do it in, you know, the most sort of obvious one or typical one is like uh, base jumpers and, and people who are doing crazy stuff like that. But you can also get it from like like surfing, from doing these long distance uh, endurance events, and and uh, like I think to I think to to surfing, and, and for me that's probably my number one sort of how I get into to flow is surfing. Number two is probably swimming, and you know I'm just always like every morning I'll, I'll typically check the surf report, and it's just because I, I want to get into that to that state because it it feels so good and like just time yeah, sort of doesn't mean much and yeah and, and it helps a lot in, in everyday life just in sort of quietening my my mind and getting me to look at uh situations differently and, and more rationally as well so doing that through whatever activity activity it is that, that does it for you i think it's just like that's a that's a big part of life is, is being able to get exactly. into to that flow state on a, on a regular basis and really going deep on occasions like you do with the rottenness swim yeah absolutely i mean it's you you have to dig deep and it's it's also a great thing to be able to control your mind and not let your mind control you you know and especially under those extreme situations you know if you can apply this concept, you know, when you're swimming or in the extreme situations, it's going to be a lot easier to apply on your daily life. So that's, uh, that's something, it's not easy, you know, you need to practice that. <laughs> yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. So um, 
that's that's fantastic. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing everything that you that you've learned along the way for the last couple of, of Rottnest swims, and you're doing it again this year. Well, next year in 2018. Thanks, so yeah, exactly. To, uh, to seeing how you go there, and then um, see what happens after that. So, Sandra, thank you very much for joining me. It's been uh, been great, and hopefully, we can get a, a couple of bay swims in in the lead up to to your swim in February. Thank you, Brendan. Um, I'm hope uh, some of my tips and my experience. Uh, I hope it was helpful for uh, those ones listening out there. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll come back with um, some happy stories maybe next year. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.